G'day Dons fans, Jonathan Walsh here and welcome to a bonus edition of Don the Stat. Fresh off a 27-point victory against the Premiership Fancies Melbourne, the Dons have moved to 4-1 and one and sit second on the AFL ladder. Suddenly the talk on Media Street has shifted from ticking time bombs to Premiership windows. To chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume as always, along with a man who was once described on the Essendon Football Club website as a stand-and-deliver opening batsman who played more than 70 first 11 games for Essendon Cricket Club. I speak, of course, of former Essendon assistant coach, Robert Shaw. I'll start with you, Shorey. Thanks for joining us to make your long-awaited Donnerstadt debut. You're fresh off a visit from the hangar today with the grandkids. How's things? You've pulled the cricket one out, haven't you? My word. But that's very dear to your heart and your family's heart. So I'm glad you do, did that. And I won. I made one of my uh, rare appearances at the hangar. I took three grandchildren, one of my daughters, and... Um, uh, caught up with a couple of my ex-students in Andrew McGrath and uh, Archie Perkins. Well, I'm still waiting six years later for Archie Perkins's Year 9 Commerce homework. That, <laughs> yeah, that, well, um, maybe he was too busy working on his footy skills and it might yeah, pay off uh, in the end. <laughs> no, it was a great day, a very good day out there today. And the players were fantastic, very engaged with the kids, um, players, in my time, aren't noted for their enthusiasm for extracurricular activities like clinics and all that sort of thing. But uh, the Essendon Footy Club should be very proud of the way the players engaged the hundreds of young kids that were there. That's great to hear. And uh, we'll pick your brain a little bit later on on Andrew McGrath because, of course, he'll have the honour of captaining Essendon for the first time this weekend. So we'll circle back around. But uh, we're joined by Humi as well. Humi, how are you, mate? Second week of uh, school holidays. So you must be loving life at the moment. Yeah, not too bad. Shorey's just brought me back to earth with reminders of late homework, although I don't think any of mine's six years late. Uh, maybe just a couple of weeks, but we'll go from there. Uh, but look, no complaints here after the great result in the weekend. Uh, I think I've completed three rewatches of the match so far, which for many of our listeners is probably a low number after such a good win. Uh, just quickly, I want to give a big thank you to everyone who joined the impromptu Twitter space I hosted after the game. It was a lot of fun to unleash the inner nuffy and just gush about how good the Bombers were. Uh, it was a lot of really good participants. You jumped in uh, when you weren't quite at your best, but you you managed to hold it together. Um, and or everyone else, Todd and, and Craig and, and the others there. Um, it's been a while uh, since we've been able to be on Twitter spaces and looking to do more of those on a semi-regular basis as the season go on, particularly if we keep having good results like that. Yeah, good job, mate. That was good fun. And yeah, it wasn't quite at my best. So I was pretty excited and got a little bit carried away, but it was it was good nonetheless. Yeah. Well, look, whenever we have a guest on the show, we start by talking about their connection to Essendon. Now, Shory, most of you, our listeners will know you as an assistant coach in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, some might remember your coaching uh, Fitzroy and Adelaide, and others might remember you for your 51 games that you played at Essendon between 1974 and 1981. You arrived at Essendon as a 16-year-old. Just tell us a little bit about what Essendon means to you. Well, I I, um, I came what I thought was a um, a fantastic time because uh, early to mid-70s was a period of transition. It was a very unstable time because uh, I had four coaches in eight years. But I loved them all and I loved the footy club. And I had the great honour, I guess, of being in an era where I could pursue two passions at the Essen Football Club. I could play cricket in the summer and I could play footy in the winter. And because, actually because of my passion and my desire to do both, looking back on my career, I, I had the capacity to play both at the highest level, but I never fulfilled my potential. Do you understand what I mean? Because I refused to focus on one or the other. And I I finished in 83, uh, end of 82, and I finished, I went back to Essendon Cricket when I came back from Tassie and played my last first 11 game in 86, 87. So um, I just love the game of cricket and it really tests my uh, passion for the game of football because I wouldn't like to vote on which one I would have chosen. Yeah, it's a difficult choice for a lot of people uh, these days. And obviously they're sort of forced to make that decision a lot earlier. 
and not, you know, at the highest level, you can't really carry on with both of those passions anymore at that age. It's a great point. And two people that are very close to me, one's not playing on the weekend. Nathan Murphy was a an outstanding cricketer, a better cricketer on the verge of Australian selection at under 17 level, an outstanding batsman. And of course, Andrew McGrath was a national athletics champion up until about under 16, under 15, when he made the decision to drop his athletics at the end of year nine and come across to football with his mates and uh, play first 18 football for Brighton Grammar. And Murphy also did the same thing. Murphy was very much a, a cricketer who played footy with his mates until one day at Geelong Grammar, he played centre-half forward for me and a bloke called Jared Brander, who was GWS and West Coast Eagles. And um, I'll tell a little story because it's quite interesting. There was about 40 or 50 uh, recruiting people that day to see Brighton Grammar versus Geelong Grammar at Corio Bay. And um, they had came to see Lockie O'Brien, Daniels. I reckon Corwell might have been there. Certainly Paddy Dow was there. Now, Lockie O'Brien. So th these are elite schoolboy footballers. And I uh, had to make a comment to some of them. I said, listen, uh, well, you're here to see all the Brighton boys. And they actually laughed at me, which was quite um, derogatory because they'd come to look at Dow, O'Brien, Brander, Daniels, the cream of the grammar, the cream of the grammar. Two hours later, Murphy had kicked seven and we'd won by 65 points. And I couldn't help myself leaving the ground. Now, who did you come to see again? I've never had my phone ring so hot that night. You know, who's Murphy? Who's Murphy? And uh, the rest is history. And th thank goodness he's not playing on the weekend because he goes okay. Yeah, he's another big out for, for Collingwood. And, yeah. yeah, they've got a few concerns to worry about there. Look, Talking about your time as an assistant coach, your big focus was looking at the opposition. Is that something you still, how you absorb football these days and, and looking at teams and, and how they play and how they can be combated? Well, it does because it also opens up a, a fair, I've spoken to Walshy, uh, you know, Walshy and I walked worked together while she was in our IT and analysis division when he was just a young kid. Uh, working with myself and Harves, Dean Bailey, and um, that's how far we go back. But we go back further because of the cricket connection with the Walsh family. But um, uh, Sheedy gave me a job. When I retired at the end of 82, I was 26 years of age. And um, that was the end of me with injury. And Sheedy came to me and said, for the very first time in 83, we want you to go and watch opposition play and come back and give me a report. So I had to go to all these games and watch, and and I got a real passion for it, and I suppose I did developed a skill for it, and then I went off coaching and came back and went off coaching again, and I remember Matthew Drain, another Essendon cricketer, rang me up at the end of or well, halfway through '98 and said, "Look, there's a fair bit of trouble on here with Sheeds at the moment. We're not sure if he'll survive the board meeting, and." Um, but we'd like to get you, Harves, and Terry back to give him some support. And can you just pick up your opposition role? And um, so nothing really changed for me. I I would go to the games two or three weeks ahead. Um, sometimes I would actually miss Essendon games. If it was a really big game like this game, I would have probably, and just to give you the example, I would have probably missed the last two or three Essendon games and gone to the three Collingwood games. And so I could get a – so Sheeds didn't worry about me being in the box. My, my, my role in the box was to look at the opposition, which is really quite difficult because you tend to get pretty emotional about your own team. But I don't know, I just had a good capacity to switch off and focus, and I like watching football. I still like watching football, and um, – and it was interesting when I had the um, when I had that little recruiting job at Essendon um, a, a few years ago. I walked into I won't say it is I don't want to embarrass them. I went into the opposition and I said, "Oh, what was the game like?" And he said, "Oh, I haven't watched it yet." I said, "I beg your pardon." He said, "No, I haven't watched it yet." 
we 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 watch it on the video. So I just walked out. I couldn't believe it. That the yeah, only way you learn and you know only way yes, we've got great stats, we've got great vision, but the only way to watch football is to watch it live from an elevated position on a first level. So you see what's happening. And then you can pick up so much and learn so much. And um and the other thing is, I know this is Don the Stat, and uh, it's fantastic looking at all the, the research you do, but I never looked at a stat until I'd seen the game. And then I'd go to the stats. You know, we had sports code, didn't we, Walshie? That was pretty good. That was pretty yeah, good. it was. It yeah. was. And then I'd go to the stats to reconfirm what I saw. I never did it the other way around because I don't believe it and I still don't. I trusted my eyes to see what I saw, and then I said, gee, I'll go and check that, you know. Like I, the other week, I don't know whether it's called best on ground, most valuable player, most influential player, but my three votes for, let's say, most influential because of what he did went to Phillips. And then I went to the stats and I thought, good God, I've just given three votes to a vote that had six six kicks two marks, a goal, three handballs, a tackle, and but I'll stick with that because he, and we'll talk about it later, this combination is um, as good as any combination in the competition and most influential. Yeah. So that's what I like. I still like it. I don't go to as many games as what I do for a variety of reasons. I've been to two, two this year. I generally take my grandkids to the big games like the Collingwood game and the, the Dreamtime game, but I'm pretty selective in what I do in my life now. So if I miss a game, I miss a game. I just ring up Walshie and tell, ask him what happened. He'll tell me. Then I'll go on Twitter and sound like a bloody genius, <laughs> right? Oh, look, isn't that great, Shuri? Oh, yeah. But I've, I've been on the phone to Walshie for half an hour. I might have to do a, a red herring from time to time just that's to uh, just to trip you up. That's so it. that that's my story. I still um, I'm intrigued by it. I've been incredibly frustrated by the lack of opposition analysis, planning, and attention to detail in the Rutten and Worsfold era. I thought it was poor, and it cost four games a year. Hmm. So you had four games a year to those years, right? Because there. They let games slip time and time again by not having attention to detail. Walshie and I had this ongoing joke, the likes of Salem, Whitfield, uh, Rich, Saad. Who else, Walshie? They just lined up. They just lined up getting three votes and it just uh, just pulled my hair out, just Mm -hmm. pulled it out, you know. And now we've got the situation where we saw a little bit of Caldwell last year do it. And now there's certainly a attention to detail with um, Will Setterfield's role, yeah. a specific role uh, that Walsh will elaborate on later, a specific role to balance a midfield where yeah. just keep an eye on Clayton Oliver for you. We don't want you to face him. We don't want you to put your arms around him. But this is what we'd like you to do. And um, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. Well, look, I think that sort of segues really well into looking at the Melbourne game. And obviously, I don't think we could accuse the the Bombers uh, coaching staff of not doing enough prep for that game because it seems like all their plans they put in place worked. So, as always, we're going to go through what we thought was required to win the game and, and analyse that. And then we'll sort of do a bit more of a broad look at it before looking more over the last five weeks as to Essendon and where they've been at. So, the first was to be direct with ball use to try and really avoid getting getting caught by the Melbourne press. And we saw some really good examples right at the start of the game with the uh, players taking space with forward handball down the wing. I think our first two goals both came from chains starting in the defensive 50 where the players use that forward handball to to beat the press and, and then find a target inside 50. Yeah, we had two things in mind, didn't we? The, the St Kilda game where we got trapped a lot and, and a lot of shallow entries and then also wet weather. Uh, both of those two things required you know more direct ball movement in order for us to, to be able to get some ascendancy. 
as you know, and, and everyone who's listened previously would know, I'm not a big one for the meters gain stat. I think it's a, a pretty irrelevant one at times. But in this context, I think it gives it gives some good um, uh, you know background to how we move the ball. You could see it, and it was clear uh, that we were, we were a lot more direct. But we averaged 17.76 meters gain per disposal, which was our highest for the for the season. So we were a lot more direct in our ball use than we have been in any other game. And, and even in the first quarter, uh, you know, you, you just spoke about them, Hume. We saw that long kick out of defensive 50 to Jones and, and he brought the ball to ground on the wing and, and we got the ball uh, for our f- inside 50 for the first time. We saw Phillips out Mark May from our first kick in and, and we went forward from there. So there was real, yeah, take space, carry, handball, but also those those long kicks out of defensive 50 when we needed to, I thought was really effective. Yeah. And so the next was about the two Ruckman uh, being options coming out of defensive 50. So just purely from a marks perspective, Phillips took six marks, Drake with four, and both took three contested marks. So no one else in the game took more than one. So it's a fantastic performance for both of them, uh, particularly Draper, I think, who hasn't really shown a lot around the ground before this year. He's um, fits and spurts, but I think he's starting to get that element to his game as well as the forward 50 threat that he's become. Yeah, I'd I'd love to be able to get the uh, the old behind the goals footage, Shory, that we we used to get to watch because it, obviously we had to watch this one on the tally. We went over in Adelaide, but mm. um, it looked to me that he was, you know, we sort of seen Draper take marks inside fifty where he's kind of plotted himself there, but it really looked like both him and Phillips were covering the ground a lot more, and and it wasn't just either of them kicking goals, playing as forwards that they pushed forward from the ruck as well, which I thought was. Uh, really influential to stretch Grundy out and, and make him have to run and compete both ways. So, yeah, I thought it was a great performance. And, and it also raises a point about big picture stuff. This is um, this is uh, quite a significant move. Like Phillips was rested, wasn't he, or omitted in one game. Wiedemann was the heir apparent to the second ruck position coming out of a forward pocket uh the jury's very very much out there at the moment and um phillips is probably one of the informed ruckman and if that just say that continued that continued for the whole year you will get something like 30 to 40 goals out of draper Mm. so i know Wright is a long way away i saw him today so let's say three months away. It's not even a consideration at the moment, but this is a potent division. Uh, it's got beautiful balance because we have an old-fashioned ruckman, a body ruckman, an influential physical ruckman against a, well, what is he, Draper? Athletic, he's aggressive, he goes forward, he can mark forward. And I thought their team job, and that was a plan, the team job on... Um, Grundy was first class. Yeah, I think there were some really good moments where they highlighted in some of the review shows where Draper and, and Grundy and Draper in particular just outworked Grundy and Grundy was, you know, 30 metres trailing behind him as Draper went forward and, and kicked a goal. So it, it's really potent, obviously, going up against Collingwood again, that could be a big threat there. The, the other thing I noticed is, um, and it, it happened in a number of games it appears, and I know we weren't there, Walshy, so it really frustrates us that we weren't there live to see that. Um, I've just got this this picture of Phillips opening the batting, conserving Draper and letting Draper really sort of start to run in the second half, with Draper sort of taking the first bounce after half time on several occasions when he's fit and fresh He's probably taken a couple of marks. He's had a couple of shots to goal and he feels good about himself and he's really responded to that. And then you can just work the old fella through the bench a little bit up forward where he can mark the ball and and really unleash Draper as a fit player. And um, I don't know what's going to happen this week. I know we talk about it and it appears on paper um, that it could be a dominant, but with the likes of Dugowie, um Pendlebury, Crispin, these sort of blokes at ground level, I'm I'm very interested to see how Collingwood are going to handle this. Hmm. Well, look, let's then move on to a player, another player you brought up, 
a bit early in, in Setterfield and, and his role. Uh, Setterfield taking that defensive spot at the clearance. Now, there's been a bit of talk about Setterfield playing that direct role on Oliver. How did you see it, Walshie? Yeah, I, I don't think he did. I, I, I mean, at least not in the traditional tagging senses we've come to know. I mean, normally you associate a tagger as someone who, you know, even to the point where they'll follow the tag off on, on the interchange bench. I think what we did see was what we, we suggested in our preview, and that was that he takes that defensive spot at the clearance. So, so he's positioning himself to be the one that can prevent access to the ball of their most aggressive, aggressively positioned um, midfielder. So that's the one who's going to, face their own goal, look to run through the clearance, similar to what we see with sort of Dylan Shield and, and the like. And, uh, you know, there was a mix of players that played that role at the first bounce. They had um, Posse Pickett in there and, and Oliver was on him. And, and it actually wasn't until right at the end of the last quarter that that centre bounce with about two and a half minutes to go where Grundy actually ran the ball out of the square and, and then didn't know whether to kick or handball and ended up sort of turning the ball over um, that, that um, Setterfield did take Oliver at the centre square. I think what he did do was just do a really good job of of preventing access to their more attacking midfielders. Uh, he certainly got him at stoppages a couple of times. Um, and, it, you know, it's obviously hard to tell on the TV what happens post-clearance. But, yeah, I think it was just mainly about making sure that whether it was Oliver, Setterfield, or, or sorry, Oliver, Petraka or Pickett at, at various times that Setterfield was positioned to to restrict their access to the ball and create a little bit more space for the likes of Parrish and, and Merritt and Shield to work into. Yeah. And just on the midfield more generally, it's, it's something we've probably brought up every week and it's increasing the rotations in midfield, getting that fifth player roaming through. And again, it's something that hasn't happened and potentially that caused issues in, in quarter four where uh, Melbourne won the centre clearances seven to one. So you could argue that that's a result of players becoming tired, but all the play, all four of those those centre bounce players, they had a pretty even rotation. So all four were between 72 and 76 attendants. And what I've been noticing this year has been looking a bit deeper is that they're really working hard to make sure that at the very least, one of those players plays lesser minutes in a game. So this week, Shield only had 71% time on ground. Uh, the week before, uh, Paris Shield and Setterfield were all low 70s. Uh, if you look back against the Suns, Parish and Shield were at 68%. So they're really trying hard to make sure they're not running them into the ground. It's a game we've gone back to a lot because it's it really highlighted some of the problems we were having last year. But if you go back to that Fremantle loss where we just got blown away in the second half, uh, Parish had 86% time on ground. And McGrath, who was playing as a centre square midfielder in that game, had 83%. So you can see they've really, even though they're not rotating through that fifth player, they're really trying to make sure that they are not overburdening those four players so that they are tired at the end of games or, or are going to start struggling towards the end of seasons. Yeah, look, um, I'm on the I'm on the spread of um, midfield options, and uh, we've discussed this both uh, publicly on Twitter and um, about the use of the likes of um, uh, Perkins through there a little bit more, Martin to have a look in there. Uh, Hobbs to come in and have a little roll through there, so so you build up a. The only concerning stat was that. Now I don't uh, hear me about the seven to one in the last quarter. Uh, we'll we'll just won't know whether that's fatigue or a little bit of um, not cue in the rack sort of thing. But you know we've worked really hard. Yeah, I did. And, I went back and did, uh, did watch that. And... It's an interesting stat that. Yeah, I went back and watched the, each each of them individually, and there are a couple where it's just a bad bounce and yeah. goes straight to a Melbourne player. You know, well, I didn't think it was overly concerning. We were, we were, I don't think it was overly concerning. It's just well, luckily, I think we we dominated them in the third quarter in that stat. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. I reckon he'll go with his four, hmm. his four options. Uh, it's working, but you know, we might be talking a year down the track with with Perkins and Hobbs. Yeah, you know, because. Um, uh, but right now, he'll continue to go with his four in in the immediate future because of what you you've alluded to. I'm quite surprised with those um, with those game times. That's really interesting and gives should give our listeners a very clear indication of um, how they're using uh, a four midfield uh, rotation. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is it's still an improvement from last year, isn't it? So we've gone oh. from 
from three to four. I suspect that they are trying to build some continuity between those four and, you know, it's working. We just took on one of the best midfielders in the competition or midfields in the competition. They they won the flag only two years ago. Oliver and Petraka are, you know, two of the very best and Viney isn't that far behind him. He's, he's a really underrated uh, footballer too. And, uh, you know, bar that last quarter where it probably was a combination of Melbourne riding their luck a little bit, trying to get into the game. Our guys may be taking the foot off a little bit and they don't earn the right to do that. And then also a bit of a rubber the green, as you pointed out, Humi. But, you know, we still won centre clearances by six for the game and and won stoppage clearances by four, despite that drop-off in the last quarter. So I think um, I, I think we can be pretty pleased. And, you know, interesting challenge this week, uh, which we'll talk about in a couple of days' time without, um, without Zach Merritt there. Yeah. And just finally, we were focused on spreading their defence and particularly isolating uh, Petty. We thought he was the weak link. Uh, surprisingly, we went, we went the other way. We isolated May and Stringer seemingly played a, a bit of a decoy role, which is really pleasing from a sense that he's brought into a team that team ethos there. Now, Petty had 11 intercept possessions, but May only had three. So May's average over these past two seasons have been double that. And then outside of Petty with five intercept marks, no Melbourne defender had more than one you compare that to what it was like at the other end of the ground, uh, Laverty, Ridley, Heppel and BZT had 12 between them. So, you know, whilst the particular player that we were looking at as being the weak link had a pretty good game, we were able to create chances, like heaps chances through other methods and, and through keeping Stephen May out of it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit dirty because it seems that when you give away a free kick as a defender, it's not counted as a one-on-one contest loss because uh, Langford isolated Petty at one stage. I think it was in the second quarter and he gave away a free kick and um, and it wasn't counted as a, a contest loss. But I, I think I messaged you, Shuri, at the end of the game. The thing that has impressed me almost the most with the, the game and and the, the new era under Brad Scott was that role that String applied to. You know, he was our one wood throw him in the centre, hope he wins a clearance, throw him forward, hope he kicks a bag. To take a guy who's used to being the star of the show and put him into a role that, you know, is really about sacrificing his own game for the good of the team and then to to actually take that role on, play it out really well with real professionalism, I think a lot of credit goes to to Brad Scott and um, and Jake Stringer, I think, for, for doing that too. It was, uh, yeah, really, really pleasing to see and, and had a big say in the game. I've got a controversial question for you. And we finished 15th or 16th last year with a very much improved focal point in Peter Wright, who won our best in Ferris with, what, 50 goals? Yeah. Something like that, mid-50s, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Draper, Langford, you've spoken about Stringer, Perkins. What's the hardest forward line to play on? For Stephen May. Mm -hmm. For Stephen May. Who would Stephen May want to play on? Well, of our current forward line, I guess he'd – Probably, well, yeah, I, I don't know. Probably. See, well, doesn't probably he want to play? Lengthen. Doesn't he want to play on uh, the bloke that won our best and fairest last year? Tall, Sorry, straight, yeah. leading. You yeah, think I, so? I mean, and who doesn't he want to play on? He don't want to play on Jake Stringer. He don't want to play on Langford. He don't want to get isolated on Perkins, right? He probably should have pushed across onto Draper. So, while there appears to have been bad luck. Um, scenarios have opened up for the Essendon Football Club in the short term that makes them unpredictable, dangerous, exciting, and very, very hard to match up on. Yeah, it's and, a good point. Yeah. 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 And yeah as an old fullback, as an old fullback, give me right to play on any day other than those combinations. Because they they worried the hell out of you. You got no idea what Stringer's going to do to you. Langford's a terrific one on one player when isolated. Perkins can rip down there. Draper's in the back. You know you can go long to Draper. Jones plays a terrific role. And there you go. So I I think in the end we're going to have uh, right back and hopefully in form. And also this capacity to be this unpredictable forward line also in the second half of the year. Yeah. You've got to think with the capacity of the coaching staff to get someone like Stringer to play a role where he's not the main target, the ability oh. to to do that with Peter Wright, who's going to draw the best defender, draw the, the big power defender, 
that gives us another string to the bow to then open up, you know, you would hope even more space and opportunities for other forwards as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they they bring him back into the mix. Mm. So you've you've dropped Phillips, have you? I think you can play both Ruckman and Wright, and then you're probably looking at Wiedemann and Jones, either one or both not playing in that sense. Okay. Yeah. That, well, that's just me. I, I'm the least experienced in, no, in football very, out of the three. it's a very interesting discussion. Um, it's always good to have more options than less options. Where are let's, we in the um, uh, the points total, Walshy? Uh, as we, in scores four? I think scores four? Just pure scores four for the year? Yeah, I think Have we're you, fourth, were we? Fourth, okay. What yeah. were we last year? Not fourth. Yeah. Ah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Look, it's a good discussion. Plus, it gives you two very, very legitimate options. The tall, traditional full forward, terrific year, wonderful comeback in his career. Part B, this unpredictable exciting and you add the kids menzi davy um hopefully second half of the year you, you get tip and woody really fit and really hard and match hard so you got that option also so anyway yeah. sorry sorry to go off track no that's all right that's why we got you on we want to get your insight um it's really pleasing and exciting as you sort of say all those possibilities that that we've got going forward and I think that sort of leans into what we want to talk about next, which is talking about Essendon more generally over the first five weeks and, okay. and what you guys have noticed. So let's just look at some of the key stats first before we get your take. So we look defensively. Essendon were ranked 16th for points against in 2022. That was with about 95. Currently to this point, ranked third. So currently conceding 78 points a game. In terms of points against per inside 50%, uh, 50 percentage. Uh, we ranked 16th in 2022 and ranked third in 2023. So even when sides are getting it in there, they're finding it difficult to score. Uh, points conceded from turnover differential. Uh, we were negative 15 and ranked 15th in 2022. And now we've got a positive of 22 points in 2023 and we're ranked second. So giving away a lot less points on turnover and creating more opportunities. And then our intercept differential, we broke even in 2022, which is ranked ninth. And we're currently uh, plus 3.8, which is ranked fifth in 2023. And, and for me, that's one of the key focuses for a premiership side is having that positive intercept differential. And then we'll just talk offensively. Uh, time in forward half, uh, we're ranked 14th in 2022, third so far in 2023. Uh, contested possessions, minus 3.4, ranked 13th last year, plus 7.6, uh, ranked fourth this year. And that's coming up against some pretty good contested sides in Melbourne and Gold Coast in particular. Uh, stoppage clearance, minus 0.7 in 2022, uh, plus two in 2023. And then inside 50s, 50 a game in 2022 and currently 58 a game in 2023. And that's ranked third. So that's obviously the stats. But as you said earlier, you, you like to watch the game and then make judgments and then see if the stats back you up. What's been the big change that you've noticed about Essendon's game plan so far this season? Well, Brad being Brad and out of a bit of an old school defender, tagger run with, we remember the great job he did on an injured James Hurd in 2001. He's got a defensive mindset. First thing he did, in my opinion, is pick a, sit, sit, a set defence and not touch it. He made a very clear statement about putting McGrath back, which meant that... Um, he didn't have a position for Hind, and people want Hind's attacking, running. Um, I think uh, McGrath has stabilised this whole team across halfback, and uh, the set defence is important. Uh, the set wingers, Martin, the sort of offensive winger, Durham working on the opposite side as sort of the defensive winger getting back, making it a seven-man defence at times. Um, of like, we've spoken about Saddlefield. We won't go on there. We've spoken about the mobile creative forwards and our two-ruck system. Um, it's been a very settled side. People, so you've got to remember, it's not the people on social media's fault because they've been through 10 years of mediocrity and 20 years of, sort of nothingness really so i understand their frustration oh you've got to play this bloke you've got to bring this bloke in drop jones you know that that 
that has to stop because what Brad Scott spoke about, our messages have got to be about stability right through the club, Walsh. Is that right? But that's also got to flow onto the field. You can't be making five changes just because Joe Smith on social media doesn't like Jones or doesn't like Snelling or, you know, oh, I want this bloke. You know, it doesn't work that way. So one of the things he's done is follow the philosophy of what's happening off the field and putting it on the field, stable. Like I'd, I'd play, uh, you know, and I, I'm not I, – I'm a huge rap for the heart and the, and the desperation of, of a Will Snelling, but I'm against his kicking and his efficiency. And I'd play Hobbs and Davey every day of the week. But that doesn't – before him, but that doesn't mean I'm right. That's just my preference, you know. And the other thing that's critically important, and this is like Sheeds, when he did his match reports, the first thing he put on on his preview was percentage. This time last year, we had 72% and we were out of the competition. Out. We didn't exist. We were out. 72%. This year, 128. And you've shown the figures, Hume, about why that happens. And the second most important one, for 10 years, we've let the ball go into our forward line and come out again. And we have continually been the easiest team to transition the ball against. Now, that that is a knock on previous coaches, but it's also a huge tick to the simplicity of the game plan of this current coaching group that's been redirected and refocused by the appointment of Brad Scott. Time in forward half, 2022, I'd hate to look back at other years, 14th. This year, third. So if you're going to play a press and you're going to play a zone, and you're going to push up when the ball goes into your forward line, you need one thing to happen. You need the ball to stay there for a couple of minutes and get a boundary throwing, get a ball up so that Andrew McGrath can organise blokes to push up, you know, push Ridley up, make sure that uh, who's on the other, make sure Redmond's covering the outlet, make sure Durham's in the right position. And I can tell you now, with a little bit of insight, knowing the kid, and he'll be captain on the weekend, that's a pivotal role that McGrath plays. I don't think Hind was a talker. And I'm not sure they appear a quiet group. Redmond is outgoing, aggressive. I'm not sure if he's a – and I'm guessing. I don't know. But I know McGrath will be organising, instructing, moving and pointing, push there, get there. And that's another reason why he's such a valuable commodity in that position. And it just buys – all you need, Humi, is about a minute. You only need a minute. But for 10 years, we haven't even got – we haven't got that minute. Straight in, straight out. And you can't defend. You can't defend that. You can't defend the middle. And then what happens? People say, oh, look look at our midfield. Aren't they – you know, Shield won't two-way run. Parrish doesn't chase. Merritt doesn't chase. Pretty hard to chase when the ball's gone. Is anyone complaining about their defensive running this year? No. Someone's, someone's, some people are complaining about Parrish's tackle numbers, but I think Walsh, you pointed out that his pressure acts are as high as anyone's. Yeah, you can't can't tackle yourself when you've got the ball. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. It's a nice balance, but I can't. So that to me is um, time in the forward half to me. If you ask me what's the most important difference this year, Give your team time, give McGrath time to push his back line up, to cover the outlet, to block the space. And it's been so obvious to me how often, and I, I went to the GWS game, they were taking a mark across half back, the GWS, or inside their 50. They had no idea how to, how to navigate the ball through our defensive wall. No idea at all. These blokes can play. Coniglio, Ward, Kelly, Whitfield. Whitfield had the ball, like we, me and Walshy were paranoid about him before the game. Whitfield had the ball looking, which way do I go? In years gone by, he's just strolled through, picked his mark. So they're a good, they're a great set. And sometimes, Humi, you've got to look at the simplicity. And you can dig deep with stats, but sometimes it's there right in front of you, right? 
a huge differential in percentage and a greater capacity to set up a defensive spread behind the ball once it goes in. Yeah, and that, and that behind the ball setup is six players or predominantly six players that have been on the list, isn't it? We haven't made uh, list changes to to that six. So, it, you know, Setterfield's really the only one who's come into the team in, in, through the midfield from that wasn't there last season. Uh Davy and, and Menzi to a lesser extent in the in the forward half, but yeah, on a, on average, the ball's spending about four, five and a half minutes longer in our forward half than it was last year, and then the that setup behind the ball is not only helping to slow down transition, it's also become a real big weapon for us. We're we're scoring eighteen point two points a game from intercepts or turnovers that we're making in our defensive 50. So it's not just restricting scores. It's also become a, a really powerful score source. Another great us. stat that's relevant. That's yeah. a relevant stat that all fits in. It all fits into a jigsaw. Every stat feeds off the other stat. And those three things that you've mentioned, the last one, well, she scoring off intercept, scoring off turnover. I, I can't recall that ever being... Um, discussed at length about Essendon's game plan over the over the extended period. Yeah. Anyway. Is there anything else uh, that suggests Essendon could be on the right track that you've noticed? That was a question from one of our Patreons, uh, James. Yeah. What are the other things that you've noticed that suggest that Essendon, you know, this could be the path to success? Initially, and I thought it was great selection, a lot, a lot of people didn't like it. I thought the statement he made initially on Snelling and Hind was excellent because the easy option was to fit him into the side and not play Davy and Menzi. But Davy and Menzi, particularly Menzi, got selected on form and trust. So Scott's able to go to two two people that we generally assume would be around our 23 and say, listen, and I'm not being a smart ass, I'm just saying, I'm going to give these two blokes a go. You blokes have a bit of a spell in the VFL and I'll let you know and when I need you. And they came in on the weekend and were very good. Horses for courses selection. So I like that. I think there is still room for um, about a more. Uh, uh, sorry, I'll start again. I still think there is room for Hobbs. I still think there is room for Davy in that team. If that means that a Snelling and a Hind have to go back again, and we start and and I wouldn't, but I'd certainly try very hard to get Hobbs in this week with the merit situation. And I think Davey, I agree with Walshy. I think Davey's imperative this week because of Collingwood's press and the ability of our speed to break him up. Like he mightn't get 15, he mightn't kick five, but he only has to do it five or six times through the lines. And I think this stage is made for Davey. And if that means it's a real bummer of a decision that someone has to go, well, welcome to what happens all the time with good teams. Blokes miss out. No one's ever missed out at Essendon. We all get a game. Everyone's happy. I'm in. Except we're 17th. We're 15th. You know, and I think that's hard. And I saw, and Snello, to his credit, said, it, 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 he used a phrase which I found very interesting. He said, it, it sharpened my sword a bit, which that means he said that's him saying to us and to himself, "Hey, I, I wasn't automatic. I, I had to, I had to really get, you know, get sharper." He's picked Menzi and Davy in front of me, and if that filters down, fantastic. So there is selection pressure and there is hard decisions. Hmm. So. That's another difference. That's another difference. And I'm so glad he's, he's stuck with stability and I'm a big role person for Heppel. I'm a huge Heppel, yes, I know, turnover, kick and all that sort of thing. Um, 
but he's coming good. He's an older player. And also, I um, I would play Jones in front of Wiedemann every day of the week. So there you go. There's just okay. If yeah. if there was one spot left, I played Jones because I don't think Wiedemann can play up the ground as a running, hard running, mobile up the ground, get back, get across, contest, go again. So that that would be. But I'm every chance to be wrong. It's just what I like about this team. We're going to get you back, hopefully, uh, mid-season to have another catch-up and have another re-examine of where things are at. What do you think the next challenge for Brad Scott is over the time between now and mid-season? Okay. And, and what improvements do you want to see uh, to show that Essendon is still maintaining that progress? It's a great point. The draw, the capability, and Brad used the word capability. I love it. I'm not that in love with yearly themes, because we have been the masters of yearly themes or excuses or third youngest team. The next year, our list is gelling. Then it was a development year. Then we've got a young list. Every year we roll something out. So, look, I wasn't over the moon when they asked for patience because this team doesn't need patience. I would have loved to hear them say, hey, I reckon I might have a, a reasonable side here. Let's see what they're capable of. And there's no doubt, looking at Hawthorne, capable of winning. Tick. Who was next? Gold Coast? Gold Coast, yeah. Capable. Third? St. Kilda. Uh, Saints? Line ball. Ross Lyon, coached really well. But a winnable game. And now we're 4-1. and one. It, It's not lead off. It's what this group is capable of. So... And they were a bee's dick away from being five zip, which I would have said was still within their capabilities of this squad. So they're going to grow in confidence. People say it was a huge upset against Melbourne. It's, it, it's not a huge upset when Lever's not playing to protect Petty and it's not a huge upset when Christian Salem, who usually destroys us with his left foot, it's not a huge upset when Brendan Brown's not there. Max Gorn usually takes Draper to school, right? Hibbert on to Stringer wasn't there. Jaden Hunt, aggressive running. I, I, I thought, easy in event, I thought were a huge show. And now without Howe, without the Ruckman, Without Murphy, I, I think we probably start 40, 60 underdog. But the same thing applies, right? Adams, I don't know. I haven't I haven't heard what happened there. But if he's out, that Merritt and Adams cancel themselves out. Dugowie comes in, which is a consideration. You're going to cover it later on. I can't see why we can't be in this game because we are capable of it. We weren't great last year, and it was two goals. It was Ginevan's five and a dominant display by Jeremy Howe with nine or ten intercept marks. That's what won it last year. So you're better, you're much better. Mm. So take them on and with an expectation of, of, of winning this game. And if you do lose, it doesn't matter because oh, – well, it does matter – I mean, if you have high expectations, we're going to have a crack at this, right? Patience and all the excuses that Essence used though, gives people an outlet. Oh, well, they said we were bottom four anyway. Oh, they said we were the third youngest list. Oh, that's right. We were told we were gelling. We were told we were a development team. Oh, that's right. That filters through a whole club. Hmm. So if you say to them, I, I want you blokes to go out this year and see how good you are. Don't, they've got no fear now. And, you know, I, I you know, I put a couple of photos up and I, I, I taught these kids. So I'm not big noting that I know them or, oh, guess what, I spoke to and he said, they're, they're, they are, I talked to Perkins and Andy today and they are quietly a very good mindset of belief. They weren't hiding away. It's going to be hard, they said. To go, he'll come back. We've got to be at our best. But we're a good show here if we continue. So, sorry, I went distract. So, the next time, we, we, 
and don't look at draws. Look at Collingwood this week. I know it's it, it's an old cliche week to week, but I don't know who we play after Collingwood because I'm not interested. But I know the Geelongs and Port Adelaide's and all that are coming out. What if they've got six out? Or what if we've got six out? You've got to isolate these games and say, on this day, we have the capability. So I would like to see, to answer your question, the next week, regardless, because you can achieve this. Say if we went two and four, you can still keep your, your base stats pretty close. Don't you know? You might go from one twenty nine percent to one seventeen. That's okay. You with me? You know, you might drop off in a few areas, but you don't come off a cliff. You don't fall off a cliff and drop off like we have consistently over the last few years. So, to me, sustained improvement doesn't mean you're going to be six nil. But I tell you what. You, you have a capability to keep working at your game and at the halfway mark of the year, I think you have the capacity to say, hey, we've sustained key areas. We didn't drop off. We only won two. We went three and three or two and four, but we haven't dropped off that much. And then it gives you a chance to look at the buy and all that sort of thing and then attack the second. That's what I'm hoping. Mm. Yeah, well, what are you hoping, Walshy? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, undefeated would be nice. But uh, yeah. I think the thing that I've liked, one of the things that I've really liked, I, I get the sense that Brad Scott will have delivered a similar message after we lost to St Kilda to what he did after we beat Melbourne. And that was these were the things that we did well. These were the things that need to improve. And I, I've liked that, you know, our ball movement, against St Kilda was really poor. It wasn't what we saw in the first few weeks. We got caught. We we sort of succumbed under pressure. Our forwards got sucked up the ground, didn't they? And, and we were kicking to, you know, two on one, three on twos, you know, four on twos in, in our forward line um, outnumbered. And, and we fixed that against GWS and it got better. And then it was really, really good against Melbourne. So, yeah. you know, I like that, that he's improving. I, I think the opportunity for us, and this isn't talking, you know, finals or or winning finals or anything like like that is you know we play a, a really good Collingwood side this week with an opportunity for us to go five and one and at the end of it mm. we will have played three teams in the top five so all the talk of soft draws and yeah. things yet yeah, we we had two really winnable games to start the season that was important to get confidence into a, a group that under a new coach but but we will at the end of six weeks we will have played you know, three bottom sides, but also three of the top five sides. And and I think that gives us a really good gauge of of where we're at, albeit, you know, there's another, you know, 15, 16 games to go. So, yeah, I my expectations are similar to yours, and that is whether yeah. we win or lose from week to week, the fluctuations in our performance, uh, you know, are within a, a sort of a parameter that keeps us reasonably consistent from week to week. And then you can regain form or you get a good run and because you haven't lost 47% when Footscray kicked 21 unanswered goals against you, you know, you're still in the hunt. You're still right there. Don't don't rule out anything. Don't rule out anything. So, you know, you're going to get written up as the new hot team in town and Brad Scott and all this and Brad Scott and Ross Lyon are dominating the headlines, you know. But don't don't get too fussed about what's going on. Um, live for now and try and improve on last week. Yeah, you're right about that. I'd love to play St Kilda in six weeks' time. I know people don't like the bloke. I like the bloke because I've coached him and he's not what – you know, how you know people, right? He, he is a litmus test for us. And I would love Ross Lyon to get hold of his team in at the halfway mark. We don't play him again. Yeah. Because That's you said we really struggled get, transferring the ball. We really got stuck, right? Because he knew how to curtail us. Goodwin didn't. He didn't have a clue. And he's a premiership coach. You know, yeah. so yeah. I think um, the sun's up 
Uh, it's a beautiful day. It was a great day today. Um, we've got a week to prepare for this. Some interesting selection discussions need to be had because there's one compulsory. Um, I've seen Hobbs as a straight swap. I've seen Cordwell to into the middle, Davy to the flank. We've seen those combinations. Let's just trust the coach and see what happens. I, I would play on the big stage because, as you know, Walshy, uh, you know, I know he's uh, he's getting on a bit, the old fella, but, mate, this is his bread and butter shoots. He'd play Hobbs and Davy, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he would, absolutely. He yeah. would play Hobbs and Davy, and I suppose that's, that's in my DNA. I can't get rid of it. I don't want to waste a game like that. And, and leave the possibility of two players that might play 200 games for Essendon. I don't want them playing at Port Melbourne or Frankston or want them there. And if someone has to miss out, well, and they're not going to they're not going to upset the the chances of winning. That's what I'm saying. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I just reckon there's a short term goal here, and there's a big picture, and that big picture, picture to me revolves around um, Hobbs and Davy. But you blokes will discuss that later in the week. Yeah, it's as close as you get to a final without actually being a final. Um, so just one last one on on Essendon whilst we've got you before we just throw a couple of general AFL ones at you. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Andrew McGrath, someone who you've had a lot to do with in his formative years as a, as a footballer at Brighton Grammar. He'll captain the side for the first yeah. time ever. Tell it, and you've talked a little bit about his his leadership skills and and likely work bringing the the back six together. But yeah, can you elaborate a little bit on maybe what you saw of, of him as a youngster and and did you see him as a, a potential club captain when you? Yeah, I thought he might have got it. I thought he might have sneaked past Jack uh, Zach. That's not favouritism. I just don't know enough about internally about Zach Merritt. I think he's done a wonderful job, so it's a great decision. But what I can tell you, Andrew has the capacity to play his game and play on a Ginevan or play on a Hill or play on a Dugowie and at the same time be aware, this is his great strength, be aware of people around him. If Redmond loses the plot, Andy will be able to you know, rein it in. If someone's getting beaten, if my check gets on top of, right, he's got the great capacity to look around the field and he has a great perception when people are up and when they're down. And he can see the team at the same time he sees his own game. And that is an incredibly difficult um, uh, skill to have because n most blokes get uptight about their role, whereas he will embrace this and he'll do a very good job. He'll have his work cut out because they've got some very good players, but that's the Andrew McGrath I know and the capacity to keep it measured, the capacity to deliver really strong messages. If something happens on the field, he won't be frightened to bloody, you know, take Stringer on or take Draper's emotional on and tell him to pull it back, pull it in, and um, and I just, well, you know, for, to have Zach out and then have McGrath step into a captaincy, uh, it's a perfect scenario in the short term. Yeah. So that's my feelings that he has this great capacity to sum it up, to see the game while playing his own game, to engage with people while playing his own game, to be the voice of the coach while playing his own game. That's bloody difficult to do, real hard to do. And I think against a team like Collingwood, you have to be constantly organised because they're so oh. quick and they, you know, they're so sharp with their ball movement and the like. And if you you slip up a little bit, they're going to cut you to pieces. And so having someone like that, not only controlling the back line as he has been doing, but monitoring the rest of the field is going to give us, you know, a bit more of a chance of being successful in that game. Not, not out, outwardly verbose, not... Um, but strong in his wording, emphatic in his wording. Uh, uh, not a silent assassin, but a very strong in his conviction with quiet, goes about it quietly, but strongly. Okay, just to wrap up, just thinking, looking more broadly at yeah. the AFL in general, what have you noticed about the game styles this season? And are there any teams that have impressed you or there any uh, any teams that, you know, maybe you thought were going to do better than they currently have? 
Well, this is why you don't put expectations on the people. There are a lot of clubs struggling. We know where Hawthorne are. Gold Coast, well, you know, there's already rumblings there, isn't there? Tigers have got a challenge in front of them. North, we know where they are. Got moving up the ladder, Fremantle, exceptionally disappointing. We're better than all these teams so far. I'll keep going. Who's next? You know, if we were playing Richmond this week, we'd win the game. Collingwood, impressive, tremendously impressive. Uh, Saints, a bit of a surprise, but well coached. Got a lot of players out. That you got to watch St Kilda because they they have one still one of the biggest injury lists. And he is able to manufacture this the performance that sees his team on the top. They don't underestimate him. I know you don't like him, folks, but you've got to give recognition to a bloke that's gone to St Kilda, which has been a bit all over the place, and pulled the joint into gear. Uh, Geelong will make the finals. They'll be around. Collingwood I like. Uh, Western Bulldogs, how are they travelling? Just Melbourne? Melbourne were going okay. There's not a lot happening. There's a big door open here, and you just got to make sure you've got the balls to put on your size 10 and kick the bloody thing down. And that's why I don't like, and I'll repeat it for the last time, I don't like constraints placed on my football team. How are these teams going? Who's who's really in form? Tell me. Essendon. Nathan Essendon. Buckley made an interesting point the other day, and that was that uh, Essendon and St Kilda are the only two teams five weeks in that haven't had a down game. You know, we weren't at our best against St Kilda, but we were competitive. We were in the match. St Kilda lost to Collingwood, but it was by a goal. You know, Melbourne have now had two games where they've gone really poorly. Uh, yeah. You know, Geelong obviously had, had some Sydney's losses. had a poor game. Yeah, Who? Who did? the Swans. Yeah, but yeah, well, I forgot the Swans. They'll be fine. Brisbane and, are up and down. Everyone said Brisbane were, you know, grand finalists. How well are Adelaide playing? Where did that come from? They play the game right now, last week, as well as anyone. Isn't that that's amazing? So what I'm saying is, and I'll say it again till I'm blue or black in the face. Oh, someone would have said to Adelaide, "Oh, you bottom two, you bottom four except someone forgot to tell Adelaide and someone <laughs> forgot to. So I just hope that Essendon don't believe that, oh, you're a bottom four type, you know, Adelaide. Wow. So there's a bit happening. Um, I haven't answered your question because I don't know, because it's, it's very erratic at the moment and it's good. And if you can chip away, and as Walshy said, you know, you get to, uh, 12, just say you got to 7-5 estimate, just a hypothetical number with 12 to play. You've already won the same amount of games you won last year and you've got three months of footy to go. So yeah. th- this season, this season's on, on for young and old. It is. Look really that. Yeah, so Fighting. the lids off. Look, I've changed. Oh, you know, um, you know when you uh, you got your phone and you don't want to talk to someone, and you got text, you press message, and you you choose different texts, right? I, I've got one on my phone saying I'm currently unable to take your call. I'm out getting an Essendon twenty three premiership tattoo. <laughs> the lid is off, and so is my phone. <laughs> Well, I think so. That's, I think that's so a great if you ring me, Walshy, and I don't want to answer you, that's the message you'll get. Yeah, I've got a cryptic question for you to finish off with. Recruit Essendon's recruited the year. Please hear me. Can I say Brad Scott? Is he count? I guess Good. he was last year. You're going, yeah, Walshy. Oh, Dave Barham. I like the boys. I thought they'd just get sucked into Will Setterfield and leave it at that. But we've got the three, two and one. Three votes, Craig Vozzo. Two votes, Brad Scott. One vote, Dave Barham. And you better believe it, folks. You better believe it. You fix upstairs first 
and it filters down to what you're seeing now. Well done. And, folks, we did that without any – that was a question without notice because I knew they were going to say, oh, Will Satterfield, Will Satterfield, Alwyn Davey, Alwyn Davey. And we've nailed it. Three votes, Vozzo, two votes, um, Brad Scott, Scott, one vote, Barham, and a special mention to Andrew Welsh's director of footy because he's not answerable to anyone. He's in no group, no silo, no cartel. He's just doing what's right for Essendon. See you, boys. Awesome, mate. Thank you. Thank you. That's all right. Uh, thanks so much, Ashori, for joining us tonight. Uh, I've taken a lot out of it, and hopefully the listeners have too. And looking forward to getting you back mid-season, and hopefully we're all still in a positive mood about where the Bombers are at. Uh, as to the Anzac Day match, uh, recording's a bit awkward with our current schedules, uh, but we're looking to re- to do that on Sunday morning, which hopefully give enough people time to listen to it before the match on Tuesday. Then normal episodes will resume either on the Thursday or the Friday, previewing the Geelong game. Any final words from you, John? No, just, uh, yeah, thanks once again to everybody who's jumped on board. We've had a lot of new listens or listeners, I should say, over the last little bit that, yeah, that, that's been phenomenal. And thank you to everyone who's messaged in and, and sent DMs and the like. Uh, great work to you again, Humi, for the work that you did getting some people together on Twitter after the game on Saturday night. That was heaps of fun. And uh, yeah, the the interview with Jade that you did as well is out and, and has had a lot of good feedback. So great job to both of you on that one. Uh, yeah, looking forward to you and I catching up on Sunday to talk all about Collingwood and, and how we can go about beating them. And uh, yeah, thanks again to Shori for, for joining us. That was heaps of fun. Yeah, that's all from us, guys. Go Dons.